Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning. I pray that you would just pour your heart or your Holy Spirit out on your house this morning, God, on these people, on me. God, all is vain unless the Holy Spirit comes down, dear Lord. That's what the song says and how true that is, dear Lord. So I pray that you would speak through me this morning, God, in my weaknesses, dear Lord. Not on my power, God, because I don't have the power to speak and to preach and to teach these people on my own, God. And it will be a failure, dear Lord, if you don't come down. So, God, I pray that you would lead and, and speak through me, dear Lord. That we wouldn't waste your time, God. That we wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't waste these people's time, God. That I wouldn't waste my time. But that when we come here today, that when we seek your word, as we read your word, God, that you would speak to us. That you would prick our heart, dear Lord. That you would help us to, to lay down everything that we brought into this building, God. Our, our, our things that are, are competing for our thoughts, our bad attitudes, our good attitudes. or Whatever it may be, God, that may be competing uh, for your time right now, God. That you would bind the enemy. That your Holy Spirit would take hold of our heart and hold of our ears, dear Lord. And hold of my mouth, God, that I would speak through you. So I pray, God, that you would hide me behind the cross. And I pray that you would receive the glory this morning. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. We are continuing on in the book of Revelation this morning. We are going to be in Revelation chapter 3. In the church of Sardis, we are going through these seven churches uh, that Jesus was given a message to John on the island of Patmos. And these messages that were, were being received were two seven literal churches of the day, but I believe they are very applicable to us, both in our personal life and as a church, and not just our church, but all churches. There are lots of warning signs for things for us to, to look out for. There are, there are three churches that are, that are doing pretty good, but then they got some stuff that's kind of crept in that they're doing a, a little bad with. So Jesus encourages them, he commends them, and then he says, but you need to repent of this stuff. You have a couple churches that are doing really good. That Jesus doesn't say anything bad. He just gives them encouragement and tells them to hold strong and don't give up. And then you have two churches that ain't doing nothing good. He doesn't point out anything good they're doing. He pretty much just gets on them and says, Look, you better wake up because time is almost up. And today we're going to look at one of those churches in Sardis. Uh, Jesus didn't have anything uh, good to say about Sardis. He was pretty hard on them. And as all of these churches, at the end of them, uh, Jesus says, you know, the one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we need to listen to that. We need to listen to what Jesus spoke to these churches because it is applicable to our lives. Because there are times where we may be going through some of these things. There may be some in this room today that is going through the same problem that the church of Sardis was going through. We're in Revelation chapter 3, I don't know if I said that or not, verses 1 through 6. And just to kind of get an idea of where we're going, we're kind of going around our map here. And we've covered the first four churches, and we've kind of, we've kind of gone up the coastline. So the message came from Patmos, went up the coastline. Last week we were at Thyatira, which is number 4. And this week we are at Sardis, which is number 5. So we're just kind of we're reaching up the coastline and going back down inland. So this would be modern-day Turkey. Uh, for those of you who like geography and kind of want to know where all this stuff is going on, that's where we're talking about. And so uh, the message to all of these churches would have went 
for, for each individual church. It would have went to all the churches. And so uh, these messages weren't just for that particular church in that particular day. It was for all the churches in that day. And I believe every church since. And that includes you and I. Now, a lot of people would say that these different seven churches represent seven uh, phases in the history of the earth and the, the history of, of things that have gone on in the Christian world, and that may very well be true. Every week I kind of show you where that falls into based on each church. And so if you hold that view of the seven stages of church history, we're here at Sardis. And, and many would say that that represents the, the Protestant Reformation, that the things that Jesus talks about represented the time between 1520 and 1750. Now, if you go back and do a little research and study your church history, you'll know that things really begin to kind of explode at that time. Uh, the Catholic Church kind of had everything on lockdown. They didn't have a version of the Bible that was easily readable by all the people. And so there were a few people uh, in, in the time, not very many, but there were a few Christians who were willing to take a stand. There was a guy by the name of Martin Luther who had a big push in this time, kind of pointing out some things against the Catholic Church. You had uh, William Tyndale and all these other people who were trying to push for English translations of the Bible. And so perhaps those few maybe represented the few that we're going to see in Sardis who, who were doing good. Perhaps it represents those that Jesus said, look, change now. Uh, change from your evil ways. Perhaps that period in time where the church began to grow was showing that those people heeded the words of the church of Sardis that Jesus gave them. So some hold that view. That may or may not be true. I don't know. But there's a lot of coincidences. There's a lot of things that do fall in those time frames. So uh, that could be one way that you could interpret uh, those seven churches. But today we're in the church of Sardis. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Write to the angel of the church in Sardis. The one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. But if you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come against you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white, because they are worthy. In the same way the victor will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray again. God, we thank you for these words. I pray that your word would do the speaking today, God. I pray that you just bless these words, that they would speak to us, that we would, we would take them to heart, God. So open our ears right now, open our minds, that we would hear what your word has to say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so here we are in Sardis, and, and, and the book starts out, uh, this letter to Sardis starts out the same as all the rest of them, right to the angel of the church of Sardis. Again, this could have been a real, like an angel who was watching over the church. It could have been a literal angel. It could have been a messenger. The word is translated both ways. It could have represented the pastor of the church. But this, this message was going out to the church 
And it was given by Jesus. Now, at the beginning of the book of Revelation, we have all these descriptive words of Jesus that describe that He is the one in control, that He is all-powerful, that He is the one with authority, that He is the Son of God. And for each of these churches, He uses a different descriptive word to describe Himself. In this particular one, uh, Jesus describes Himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says... Now, in the beginning of the book, we see that Jesus was holding these stars in his hands. Uh, some of these introductions to some of these books, I kind of say, I understand what they mean, or I think I know what they mean. I'm not really sure what this one means. I'm not really sure uh, what this means, if it has some kind of deeper meaning, or maybe it's just stating that this is the same one that was in the book of Revelation. But one thing that we can know is that usually in Scripture, the number seven represents completeness. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the one who is complete in God, and I'm the one who holds the seven stars in his hands. I'm the one who are in control of these things. I have got everything under control. I am the one who is in power. So perhaps that's what's uh, being implied by these, this introduction that Jesus gives here. And then he quickly uh, begins the rebuke to the church of Sardis. He says, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Now that's tough. Now that's something we need to listen to. Not just as a church, but individuals. Because here's what was going on in the church of Sardis. From the outside, they looked great. Everything looked good. Probably you could have asked people in the area. They would have said, hey, how's the church in Sardis? Oh, they're doing good. They're doing really good. On the outside, they were looking the part. They were going through the motions. Uh, they were doing works that seemed like they were of God, that seemed like they were doing good things. And Jesus said, you have a reputation among the other people in the area of being alive, that things are going good, that things are going well. But Jesus says, you are about to die. Wow. That's pretty intense. Jesus says, you're dead, and you better strengthen what remains because it's about to die. And we need to examine our lives, and we need to ask ourselves, how is my relationship with Jesus Christ right now? Now, I'm not saying, don't ask yourself, am I going to church? Am I just reading my Bible to check a box? I... No, 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 no. I'm not talking about just going through the motions. I'm talking about a, a genuine, legitimate, good relationship with Jesus Christ. How is your relationship with Jesus Christ? Because it's easy for us to kind of go through the motions and we, and we start off with the right heart. We start off trying to do things the right way. We start off doing things for the Lord because we want to serve the Lord. And then all of a sudden, things kind of begin to shift. And we don't even realize that that shift is coming. And we begin to kind of get complacent with where we are. And we begin to mistake our, our, our works that we start out doing for the Lord. We, we begin to get those things confused. Well, if I just go through these motions, then therefore everything is okay. And that was the problem that the church of Sardis was facing. They looked good on the outside, but their heart was wrong on the inside. Jesus quoted Isaiah uh, when he was preaching. He said, uh, though you honor me with your lips, your hearts are far from me. See, Jesus dealt with people all the time when he was in his ministry. And he would call them out because he would say, look, you're going through the motions. You look good. Everybody thinks that you are doing really good. But Jesus said, you're not. You need to look at your heart. You need to see what's going on. And that's what he called the people of the church of Sardis to do. And I think it would behoove us to look at our hearts, 
to look and say, hey, have I just got complacent? Am I just going through the motions? When is the last time I've really sat down and prayed to God? Not just asking Him for something, not just when I get in trouble, but I'm talking about just sit down and praise God for who He is because He is the God of, of the heaven and the earth. He is the creator of everything. He is the one who sent His Son to die. He is the one who has offered you grace, not because you deserve it or I deserve it, but because He freely wants to give it to us so that we can be redeemed. When is the last time we have just sit down and praise God because He is worthy of praise? When we come to church on Sunday mornings, do we come waiting to hear from the Lord, desiring to hear from the Lord, desiring to sing praises to the Lord? Or do we just come with other stuff on our mind thinking, all right, it's Sunday, I've got to go to church because if I don't, somebody at church is going to ask me where I am and then I'm going to feel guilty and I don't want to feel guilty, so I'm just going to go. Because that's easy to do. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we can kind of get to where we just come in the door and we're just we're ready to get out. It's, ball, it's football season. My Eagles play at 12 o'clock. I want to go see them. My wife has made a delicious meal today. I'm ready to go dig, dig into it. I understand. You guys, you understand too because there are things that we want to go. We want to go out and play when the weather's cool. It's all kind of cool stuff to do. And so those things kind of begin to take over our minds and our heart. And we come to church and we dress good and we sing the words of the songs and we put our offering in the plate and everything's good and we smile and we shake hands and we leave, but we have totally missed God. Now everybody on the outside will say, boy, that's a good-looking church. Everybody in there looks so good, they look like real good, strong Christians. <coughs> but here's the truth of the matter. God doesn't look at our actions and what we do on the outside necessarily as much as He does as our heart. God doesn't just look at the fact that we come to church or we dress a certain way or we sing a certain song or we smile a lot or we helped out with chicken dinners. God's looking at our heart. God's looking at what's buried deep within that you can't see and that I can't see, and He looks at our heart. And we don't want to be found guilty of what the church of Sardis was found guilty of. And that was going through all of the right motions but being completely dead on the outside. You can fool everybody. You can fool everybody in this world for your whole life. You can fool me and every other preacher and the Pope and any other godly figure you want to talk about. But when the day comes that we stand before God in judgment, He's looking at your heart. He's not looking at what you've done. He's not looking at your works without your heart first. And if we stand before God on Judgment Day and our heart has never turned to Jesus Christ, even if you've done a lot of good works, that's great, but that's not enough to save your soul. It may give you the appearance of looking alive, but Jesus would say you are dead if you don't have Him in your heart. And instead of hearing those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, you may hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. And you'll say, but, but Jesus, I was in church every Sunday. Look at how many times I went. But Jesus, I gave this much money. I gave this many shoeboxes. I helped with all this ministry with Haiti. I did all this good stuff. And Jesus will say, your heart has not been right. You went through the motions. You had a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. 
And that was the warning to the church of Sardis. We don't want to get that way in our lives individually. We don't want to be that way as a church. We want to do good things, but it is so easy for the devil to get our mind on good things that we forget about doing God things. And we get content with just doing good and say, well, I'm doing good, and well, look at this church. We're doing more than this church, so I'm okay. I'm just going to coast. Got to watch out. Got to be careful. Or we'll be in the same dangerous boat that Sardis is in. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. So Jesus here, he's saying, look, you have the appearance of being alive, but you're dead. But Jesus doesn't just say, I'm done with you. He doesn't say that. He is trying to warn his people And maybe the Holy Spirit's kind of pricking your heart today, bringing up some sin or some things in your life that shouldn't be there. Because Jesus is trying to warn His people, and the Holy Spirit tries to warn us, look, you're doing wrong, you're living in sin, you're not where you should be, so be alert and repent. Strengthen what remains. There is still a little bit of hope there in Sardis. There is still some good there. As long as Jesus is on the scene, there is always hope. Until the time that Jesus comes back to receive his children, there is always hope because Jesus is the one who is in control. He is the one who has authority. He is the one who holds the seven stars and the seven churches. He is the one who holds that in his hand. He is the one with all power. And he is the one speaking. And if he is the one in power saying, repent and return, then you better believe there's still hope. And Jesus is telling the people here to be alert. Now, the history books will tell us a couple of things about Sardis. That is that they were attacked on a couple of different occasions. And both times that they were attacked, it was because they weren't being watchful. They didn't have anybody watching guard over the city. They were just kind of doing their thing, and the enemy came in. And on two different occasions, within a few hundred years of each other, the city of Sardis was attacked because of their lacking, uh, blackingness, lackness, I don't know if that's a word, because they... They refuse to be alert, let's just say that. Because they refuse to be alert. So perhaps, maybe that's what Jesus is meaning here, maybe not. But whether that's what's meant or not, we need to be alert because that is indeed what will happen. If we are not alert, if we are not uh, aware of what God's Word says, then sin will, will creep in there and will begin to try to take over. The devil will, be kind of, uh, he will begin to put things in your life, stumbling blocks in your life, sin in your life, to keep you from the Lord. And if you're not being alert and wise to His ways and praying for God's guidance and discernment, He will slip in there and destroy you. That is His desire. And believe you me, He will not stop until He does it. But Jesus' desire is to give you hope, to give you redemption, to, to, to save your life, to spare your soul. And Jesus is calling for his people here saying, be alert, repent, come to me, turn from your ways. Don't give in to what's taking place. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. They are close to death. There's not much good left in this church. There's not much left to hold on to. But Jesus says there's a little hope. But if you don't turn from your ways, if you don't repent, if you don't deal with sin, sin's about to deal with you. So you better wise up because what is there is about to die, Jesus says. For I have not found your works complete before my God. 
Now remember, they had the appearance of doing some good works. They had the appearance of doing some good stuff. But Jesus says that's not good enough. Even though everybody else around may say you do the best works and you're doing the good stuff, if you're not doing it of the Lord and your heart is not of the Lord and your heart is not in the right place, Jesus says your works are not good enough. He says, I found your works to be incomplete. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. So Jesus is calling back something that they already knew. Jesus isn't preaching something new to them. He's saying, you've already received the gospel. You've already heard. Remember what you've heard. Remember what was taught. Probably by the, 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 the apostles, perhaps Paul, perhaps some other people had reached some of these places and they had heard the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they started out on the right track, but somewhere along the way they had gotten off track. And they had fallen from their first love. We use the same language from the church of Ephesus there, so to speak. They had gotten completely off track and Jesus is saying, remember what you've already been taught and repent. That is, you are in bad shape and you are about to die, but there is still hope for you. There is still hope in the middle of all the sinfulness and everything that is going on that if you will turn to me, if you will repent, I will restore your heart and restore your soul and I will forgive you. And those words are true for you and I. Jesus speaks those same words to you and I. That if we are living in sin and we realize that, then praise the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit. We need to repent of that and we need to not put our hope in the things of the world. We need to not be sidetracked by what the devil throws our way. But we need to repent and put our hope in Jesus and we will be restored. That is the promise that is given here to the church of Sardis. But if you are not alert, I will come like a thief. And you have no idea at what hour I will come against you. So Jesus says, be alert and repent. But he says, if you refuse to be alert, if you refuse to recognize the warning signs that I have given you, if you refuse to repent, Jesus said, I will come like a thief, and you won't know what hour that I will come against you. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to come back and I'm going to be good to you and I'm going to give you another chance. Jesus says, I've given you a chance. And if you refuse to heed my warning, when I come like a thief, you will not know, you will not be prepared, and I will come against you. Now that is a scary thought for those who aren't in Christ. Because the first time that Jesus came to do his ministry, he came with mercy and with love and with grace and with humility so that we may be forgiven, so that he may give his life for you and me, so that we may be forgiven. Praise the Lord for that. And if we're sitting in this room today, we have that opportunity to receive that love and that mercy and that grace that Jesus came the first time to bring. But the second time Jesus comes, it's going to be all business. And he's going to bring wrath and judgment along with him. And it's not going to be a good day for those who are not with Jesus Christ. Because in that day, Jesus will come against any who have not chosen him. Jesus will come against all of those who have openly and freely rejected him. And I got news for you, Jesus is coming back. And I don't know when it's going to be. But we need to be alert. We need to know that it could be tomorrow. It could be today. It could be a thousand years. I don't have a clue. 
But I believe He's coming and I'm always looking. I'm always looking. I'm always ready. And we need to be alert. We need to be always looking. We need to be always ready. That's the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. The non-Christian don't believe. They don't care. They're not looking. They don't know. They're living their life. They're having a good time. And then one day, bam, it's going to happen. And Jesus will return. And it'll be too late. They will have missed their opportunity for grace. And all they will have to look forward to is God's wrath. And that is not a good thing. Perhaps there are some in this room. I don't know your hearts. I can look at you on the outside and I think everybody in here is a Christian. I hope you are. I don't know your heart. Maybe we all look alive on the, uh, on the outside, but, but maybe there's some on the inside that, that are dead. Maybe the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, I'm giving you hope. I'm giving you time to repent, to turn to me. So if Jesus is speaking to you today, then listen to what he says. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white, because they are worthy. One thing that, that Sardis was known for, the history books tell us, was their woolen, woolen garments. That was a big thing. That was a big, uh, a big business, a big industry for Sardis. And so perhaps Jesus uses this terms of, of, of these garments being sold because that's something that the people would have understood. And Jesus is saying here that there are some that have sold their garments. That is, there are some who are, are defiled. There are those who are living in sin. There are those who are not pure. Jesus says there are some there who have not defiled their garments. There are some who are doing good. There are some who are still worthy. There are some who are still following God. Not many, but a few. But there are many there who are living in sin. And they are unworthy. They are not clothed in pure white. They are not clean. They are defiled. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes and they walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the victor will be dressed in white clothes. That's a sign that we are pure, that we are clean, that when we come to Jesus Christ, when we are covered with His blood, when we accept Him as Lord and Savior, we are washed white as snow. He uses this, these white robes. This is imagery. This is an illustration of what the difference is between the believer and the non-believer, between the Christian and the non-Christian. That those who are in Christ, who have accepted Christ, will be washed as clean and as white as snow. And those who have rejected Jesus Christ and who have turned from Him are wearing defiled garments. They are dirty. They are nasty. He goes on to say, in the same way, the victor will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life. Now this is a tough verse right here. There are, there are lots of opinions as to what that, that means. I will never erase his name from the book of life. One view is, is that Jesus would be implying there that it is possible for some names to be erased from the book of life. And obviously he's talking about Christians here, so it brings up the questions, is the Christian's name able to be wiped away, blotted out from the book of life? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think that's what Jesus means here. But what I think Jesus means here is he's just giving an affirmation to those who are his to affirm to them and to encourage them and to assure them you will be dressed in right and your name will be in the book of life and you will be with me for all of eternity. 
Jesus has given the promise to the victor. Jesus has given the assurance of the victor. Look, if you turn to me, if you stand strong in me, I am not going to forsake you. I am not going to leave you. I am never going to cast you out of my sight. You are going to be with me forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, there are several views about the book of life. We'll talk about that once we get a little further into the revelation. Uh, revelation. That will come up again. But, but typically, in, in, in church, we're taught that, that once we become a Christian, that our names are, are written in the book of life. Now, that may or may not be true. I don't know. It's kind of difficult. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about it. It talks about those whose names have been written in the book of life from the foundation of the earth. So these names have been here for a long time. They're not names, it doesn't appear, that are added as we, be, we, we get saved. One view is, is that every single person ever in the history of the world's name is in the book of life. And we remain there until we reject Jesus Christ or die apart from Jesus Christ. That's one view. I don't know if that view is true or not. It could be. The scriptures kind of lean that that could be the case. Perhaps in God's foreknowledge, he knew those who would accept him before he put anything into, into, in, into motion, this whole creation, this whole earth. And he said, look, I know the ones who are going to save me. I'm writing their names in the book of life, and they are going to be there for all of eternity. I don't know. We'll talk about that in a little more detail in a few weeks. But what I do know is that Jesus is given a promise is that if we are His and we seek Him and we are obedient to Him and we ask Him to come into our heart and we are forgiven and we are wearing uh, robes that are as white as snow, that we have nothing to worry about. Jesus says, you are mine and there is nothing going to take you away from me. Jesus has given some encouragement to the people of Sardis. And I will never erase His name from the book of life, but will acknowledge His name before my Father and before his angels. We see earlier on in the Bible that Jesus says, those who deny me before man, I will deny before the Father. But Jesus has given that encouragement and that assurance to these few people who are living for him, who are doing good, that he is not going to deny them before God. That he is going to speak up on the day of judgment when God looks at our sins and he sees that we're unworthy. Jesus, who is our mediator, who is our high priest, will say, I have paid the price for this one. He is covered. She is covered by my blood. They are forgiven. And when, G when God looks at our life, He won't see what we did, but He will see what Jesus did because we will be covered by the blood of Jesus. But for those who are not covered by the blood of Jesus, what God will see will be their works. And as we see through Scripture, as we see earlier on in this church of Sardis, the works aren't good enough. The works aren't good enough. It is only the blood of Jesus Christ that is good enough. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Is there something in your life that's just not right? Maybe God has spoken to you today. Maybe God has shown you that, look, you're going through the motions in some areas, but you just, you've never accepted Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you've accepted Jesus Christ and you just, you're in a dry season. You're in a desert season spiritually. You've let some sin get in there that shouldn't get in there. Uh, your attitude's kind of been bad. You hadn't really been seeking God. You've just been kind of coasting and, and, you, and you've fallen from your first love. If, if you are already a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're already a Christian, then repent of that. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ and you realize today, look, I've been going through the motions my whole life, but I've totally missed Jesus and I don't want to miss him anymore. I want to strengthen what remains. I want to be alert and I want to repent of my sins so that I may be washed free of my sins and clothed in white. If Jesus is speaking to you today, don't turn him away. Let's pray. God, we come to you today and there are some strong words here in this church of Sardis. And God, I pray that you would help us to examine our lives to to know if, if we're guilty of that, God, sometimes. And maybe we are. Maybe there are times that as a church we're guilty of going through the motions and, and looking alive but being dead. God, maybe individually there are some in this room who are struggling with that. So I pray that you would help us to see that, dear Lord. Because your desire is not for us to continue to live in sin, but your desire is, is for us to turn from that. So I pray that if there is one in this room that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that they would come today, dear Lord, that they would accept Jesus Christ and their, their, their dirty, defiled, sinful garments would be washed clean and white as snow, that they can have that assurance that you will, you will speak on their behalf before God on the day of judgment, that you, that they will be yours, God, and, and that you will be theirs, and that they are forgiven and that they are assured of eternal life through you. So I pray, God, that if there's any in this room that have a decision, God, maybe there are some in this room that have walked with you for years and just become complacent and, and gone through the motions, God.